2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. Um, this is Paul writing to the Corinthian church in his second letter to them, explaining something that had happened uh, in his life. And uh, it was trouble for him. But he says it like this, starting in verse 8. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. That just ruins a lot of our theology, doesn't it? God won't give us any more than we can handle. Yeah, he just ruined that for all of us. He said it was far beyond our ability to endure so that we despise life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that, we will con- that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Father, we thank you this morning. God, you are good to us. And there's been many people here, Lord, pressured beyond what they feel like they can bear but you have delivered we're thankful for that and we pray that our attitude going forward would be that you will deliver and we thank you for your word we pray that it would change us today in jesus mighty name we pray and everyone said amen and amen turn around tell somebody what you're talking about willis (laughs) say that to him what you're talking about willis What you talking about, Willis? Now, I do want to say that Gonzalez family has, I'm not going to tell you the story, but they just had had answered a prayer this week as well. I'm excited for them. And, um, and they don't really live close to me. You know your son showed up on my doorstep yesterday? I was like, does your mother know you're out here? Uh, but he was visiting friends and was coming over to my house to see my son who was actually away. So I just interrogated the three kids for a little bit. Like, where'd you come from? Do your parents know you're out here? Um, and I was trying to figure out what shoe. They all had the same shoes on, and I'd never seen them before. And so I, I don't know. Maybe I'll get a pair. What are they called? Yeezys? Uh, I went back and asked my my whole family's out of the loop because I went back and asked my daughters, and they were like, well, "We don't know." So anyway, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and he's saying, "Listen, there was a period of time where we were in the province of Asia where." Um, where we were pressured beyond our ability to keep going. We were despising life of itself. There's some, there's some guesstimation or assumptions made about what that might be. There's like five different scenarios uh, scholars put out as far as what may have been the scenario that Paul was describing, because he really doesn't go into a lot of detail here. He just says we were pressured beyond beyond our capabilities and so there was um there's like five situations that paul had found himself in he he had uh, fought off wild animals anybody have that scenario this week you know listen listen honestly the things we pray about and and paul saying man i was pressured beyond my capability to handle it and so one of the scenarios that he talks about in other circumstances is that he had to fight off wild animals in Ephesus. You never have that on your commute. 
to work. You're never like, I fought a lion today on my way to work and I didn't think I was going to make it, but God delivered me. Now, some of you have road rage and you may think that is the same equal to fight, but it's not. It's not. So uh, there was a riot uh, that he was caught up in and they actually tried to lynch him. Uh, but but he escaped that. That would make you fear for your life, right? Um, let me think. He was he was whipped thirty nine times. That would make you want to die, wouldn't it? I mean, I, I remember getting spankings when I was a kid, and I was like five. Was over the top, brutal. Somebody needs to call the police on you know. Can you imagine thirty nine lashes? Uh, let me see. There was the thirty nine lashes. There was. Um, uh, he was, um, was that, that was a notification of something. There's 39 lashes. There was a persecution that broke out before he left for Troas. And then, um, and then he also had this reoccurring illness. I don't know. Some of you may remember he prays to God three times take this from me. And God says, no, my grace is sufficient for you. So it was this reoccurring illness. But one, scholars believe one of these was the issue he was talking about uh, in this letter to the Corinthians about being pressured beyond their capability to keep going and despising life of itself. He, he didn't want to live and he thought, matter of fact, he says, we were pretty sure we had the death sentence, like it was over. This life that he was living uh, was going to cease at that point in time. And I want to focus on a couple things today. This, this seems to be sort of a theme uh, with me. And maybe it's a season of life I'm in. Uh, hopefully you can relate to it. Uh, if not, I probably need to hang out with some different people. Um, <laughs> One of the issues uh, that I believe that plagues us a lot of times is uh, what we think about what's happening and what we say about what's happening. And as Christians, uh, we, we, we use Facebook just like everybody else. We use social media. So, so the ability to impact the people around us with what we think is happening and what we say about what's happening uh, is very important. It's very important because people are watching you like, I grew up before all that stuff came about. We didn't even have, te- we didn't have nothing. We didn't, we didn't have the internet. Uh, life was a lot more simple. I never thought I'd say that back when I was a kid. Um, <laughs> but I'm getting to that age where I can remember there being a payphone in the high school, in a booth in the high school. And, you know, you walk down, if you want to call your, you never use the payphone. Uh, now to, you know, kids at Tomahawk having cell phones and can contact you when the teacher makes them mad. Um, by the way, you should never take the side of your kid. The teacher's always right. I never take the side. I'm like, listen, if you're going to use the teacher as an excuse, you're a poor student. Go back to school and learn some more. Um, that's just the way I am. But I think because we have so much more access now, to others, it, it really matters 
What we think about what we're going through and what we say about what we're going through, it really matters. Because on one Facebook post, on one social media post, on one text message, you can, you can start to shape what other people are thinking about what you're going through. And then when you start to shape what other people think about what you're going through, you, now you're creating ripples in, the, in lives. And you can either create ripples of faith or ripples of doubt. And I think it's very important as the church that we concentrate on creating ripples of faith. Amen? And to, and to speak life into people. Because you never know the person on the other end of that Facebook post, what they're going through, what they're dealing with. And if we show up in their lives as Christians, people of faith, people who believe God, and all we are doing is bemoaning everything that we're dealing with and going through, then, uh, then we're not making ripples of faith. And so Paul here finds himself in a position where he's being honest. He's not doing the, the um, churchy thing with the Corinthians. He's not going, well, my life's been great, serving the Lord, couldn't get any better. Come on, you do that at Walmart sometimes, don't you? How are you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Look at me. Good. No, he was just being honest. He says, listen, there was a moment in the province of Asia where we didn't think we were going to make it. We're pressured beyond our ability, our capacity to deal with this. It was, it was unlike anything he'd ever experienced. He said, this was, this was worse, the worst case scenario. We thought we had the death sentence. And so he was being honest with where he was and what he was doing and how he felt about it. And I want to tell you this morning that it matters what is happening. All right? It matters what's happening. Now, I think there's two ways you can look at this. How many of you are sweeping under the rug people? Don't raise your hand. I'm going to hammer the other people as well. So just re- you sweep it on the rug like, like you know, you could get your limb, you could get your right arm cut off at work. You're like, man. I mean, I barely used it. God is good. My life is better today without this arm than it was yesterday. I don't even. People are look. I don't need your pity. I don't need your sympathy. I'm good. I listen. I I had hurt my arm in the past. I can't feel it anymore. Because it's not there. This is actually a blessing. Is anybody like that in here? Like, it doesn't matter. You could fall down, break every bone in your face. You're like, I, I like my face better now swollen, actually. It looks just, it just feels better. We, we have opposite ends of the spectrum, right? People that sweep everything under the rug, just like, no, it's fine, it's fine. I'm not having a nervous breakdown. I'm not, I'm fine. And then you have the other people that the sky is falling all the time. I'm waiting on you to raise your hand. I think the sweeping under the rug people are more apt to raise their hand than the sky is falling people, right? And, and on the opposite end of the spectrum, the sky is falling people, no matter what happens, you could wake up in the morning and your coffee be just a little off. In the, and, and I'm watching you on Facebook and I'm like, ah, day's ruined. It's not going to get any better from here. I only got one creamer in my coffee because my wife didn't get any. And now my life is terrible. Um... You know who you are. <laughs> so, so listen, neither of those are good attitudes to have, are they? Because listen, if the sweep it under the rug people always sweep it under the rug, then you won't even recognize when God delivers you because you, you never make a big deal about anything. Oh, God stepped into your life and did an amazing thing. Oh, it wasn't that big a deal. I mean, I didn't, like I said, I didn't need it anyway. And then the out of control, oh my goodness, the sky is falling. 
you never get the opportunity to trust God because you're so concerned that the sky is going to fall on you. And so, so you can't get it together enough to say, hey, wait a second, I'm going to trust him today. Paul was just being honest. He said, he didn't say the sky was falling. He didn't sweep it under the rug. He just said, hey, listen, um, we were pressured beyond what we could bear. I, I was despising life. I thought, I thought that I was going to die. I thought that it was over. Paul's not a, a guy that's uh, bent towards hyperbole or, um, or to exacerbate an issue beyond what it is. He's just being honest. And I think for us, an honest ass- assessment is a key to context, isn't it? Honest ass- assessment of what's going on in your life is a key to be able to put in the right context of what is happening. And so, so if something is going wrong in your life or something is happening in your life, you, you are given the ability to put that into a certain context. And if you sweep it under the rug, then you're going to miss it. If you blow it up out of proportion, you're going to miss it. And so stuff happens to us. We are pressured beyond what we can bear at times. And God wants us to be able to put it in the right context. So putting it in the right context means we have to be honest about what is going on. I, I sit in front of people all the time that go through marriage trouble and, and at the beginning of every season of trouble in marriage, a lot of times it comes from a season of denial that there's trouble in marriage. Like, oh, no, we're fine, we're fine, we're fine, no, we're fine. How are you guys doing? Fine. Man, we really love each other. For real. Like, you ever been around people like that that got to convince you that they love each other? No, 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 we really love each other, don't we, honey? Right? <laughs> And then six weeks later, they're, you know, they're sitting in your office and you're going to, you're looking at them like, I, I thought everything, well, we didn't, we didn't make a really honest assessment of where we were. And so now we're so far in the weeds, we're not sure God can get us out. And that's what we do a lot of times. We just blow it off, blow it off, blow it off, or we blow it up. And we don't have the ability to put it in the right context Paul is honest about what he was feeling at the time. It was difficult. You know, Jesus gives us a great example of this, actually. If anyone on earth could have blown things off, don't you think it could have been Jesus? Like, I'm the son of God. Nothing bothers me. Could you imagine? Why am I going to have to worry about this? I win every time. I'm the son of God. I'm God in the flesh. I came here, born of a virgin. I've lived a perfect life. I got no cares in the world. Akuna Matata. <laughs> I thought that was just on a cartoon until I spent two weeks at Kenya, and I was like, you people really say this. Everything's fine. But Jesus didn't do that. He was honest about the way he felt. Matter of fact, if you can look back at the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he's arrested and put on trial and crucified, he's in the garden praying with three of his disciples who came in deeper with him, Peter, James, and John. And he's, he's begging, hey, guys, can you wait with me one hour and pray? And then he, the Bible says that he goes deeper into the garden. And he's stressed to the point, the Bible says his sweat was like drops of blood. And he prays this. If it is possible, take this cup from me. I don't want to do this. Now, if the son of the living God comes to earth 
and expresses honestly how he feels, then, then uh, come on, sweep it under the rug, people. It's time to be, it's time to fess up. That sometimes in your life, it's not all great. And in order to, in order to pray right, you can't just say, God, I'm fine, man. Just forget about me. At times, we have to say, Lord, this is beyond my capability to deal with this. Can you take it from me? And then Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. And you know the rest of the story where he is arrested, tried, crucified, and rose again. It's good to be honest. Now, it's good to be honest. It is good to be honest. But I want to tell you that at some point in time, you have to put you have to put your situation in the right context, right? It's good to sit down with somebody and say, hey, listen, I can't even believe this just happened. I, I, I'm, I'm hurting so bad. I don't know why it's happening. I'm just in this situation. I don't know what's going on. But then it's, then it's time. There's a time that you have to then contextualize what is actually happening, all right? And so... So we can't be the person that has worked at a job for 30 years and has complained every day of those 30 years. At some point in time, we have to contextualize what is happening to us, right? And context can be everything. So watch this. If I'm in a situation that is painful for me, and I put it in the context that God is punishing me, I am never going to ask the one who is dishing out the punishment to deliver me. Amen? I'm never going to say, the same God that is punishing me can deliver me. That's like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It's like split personality God. And so the context that we put our situation in is extremely important. All right? Because context can either empower you to go on to the next thing, or it can incapacitate you. Context can do that. And so, so think about, I've been reading through the book of Job. Think about Job. You know at the beginning of the story, his, his, um, how he loses everything and gets sick. It's like, a, it's like a cosmic conversation between God and Satan. And God has a purpose that we don't understand at the beginning of it. And, and Job seemingly uh, does nothing to deserve any of it. The Bible says he was an upright man. And so... So he, all this affliction comes on him, but his friends come over and apply the wrong context to it. And they say, well, it's sin in your life, Job. It's all these things that you've done. And so context will either propel you into the next season of your life or it can incapacitate you. I was thinking of the way uh, farmers work. Um, anybody ever planted a garden? good because you can eat what comes out of a garden you know there's a purpose to it all that stuff so when you plant a garden if you're a big farmer that's how you make your living you plant with an expectation to reap right harvest to receive to get something more than you planted isn't that how farming works you don't plant a tomato seed hoping to get one tomato out of it and if you are getting one tomato out of it i would suggest you read more books or get some help. So, so farmers don't take a bad season. Remember we've talked about this before, your life 
is in seasons. Farmers don't take a bad season where maybe no rain comes and so their harvest is not what was expected. They don't then contextualize that poor harvest and say, I'll never have a good harvest again. They say, I will go back the next year and I will plant and plant and plant because the next year I'm going to expect a harvest, right? So if you contextualize contextualize a bad harvest as something that will continue in your life, then you'd never plant seed again. And so what we do is we look at the current hardship and we contextualize it as my permanent, my permanent context. This is, this is going to be me forever. This is going to be it. This is going to be everything. Paul switches gears here. He says, listen, we were, we were burdened beyond our capability to withstand it. We thought we had the, the sentence of death. We thought, we thought it was over. We thought every, we thought it was done over our life is done. We cannot bear this burden anymore. And Paul switches and he says, but this happened that we might. But this happened that we might. So he's, all of a sudden, he has contextualized what has happened in his life. He's putting a reason to it. He's putting a godly reason to it. He's saying, he's putting in the context of faith. He's saying, listen, this is happening and here's the reason why. He says, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. (laughs) You might think, those words have never come out of my mouth. When's the last time you told your friend, I'm going through this hardship so that God might teach me not to rely on worldly wealth, but to rely on his wealth that he will provide for me in due time. (laughs) We've never said that, have we? We say, hey man, can I borrow $50? Because I'm thinking God might provide through you. We don't talk like that, do we? There seems to be a, a whole phase that was skipped in Paul's circumstance here. You know what? I spend a lot of time asking why. Don't you? I spend a lot of time asking why. Why? 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 Why, God? Why? Why? Why are you doing this to me? Paul switches from we were pressured beyond our capability, and now I realize that it's because he was teaching me to rely on him. See, it's important how the context you put it in. He switches and says, but this happened so that I might not rely on myself, but on God who can raise the dead. In the worst situation you can ever, I mean, this is the most drastic thing Paul ever explains. We were pressured beyond our capability, even to the point of despising life itself. We thought we had the death sentence. And I realized the context of the whole situation was for me to trust God who can deliver no matter what. Amen. Come on, when we put it in the right context, then we can start to do then we can start to talk the right way about it. Because a a situation in the wrong context will will create the wrong language. It'll create the wrong testimony. Because whether you believe it or not, you're testifying nonstop about what God is doing in your life. Nonstop. Everything we talk about. 
How you doing? Well, I don't know, man. It's just not going, not going the way I expected. I don't know why. I've been asking God why for years. He's not telling me. Now, you know what's curious about this? Paul never says that God came down and told him why it happened. He put the context on it. Isn't that awesome that God allows us to do that? Like you're going through a struggle in your life and the little the little speech bubble doesn't pop up and go, Chris, this is why that's happening. Here's the way I'd like you to talk about it. It doesn't happen like that. He lets me put it in the right context. And when I put it in the right context, then faith comes out of my mouth, right? When I put it in the wrong context, doubt comes out of my mouth. So that's what we talked about at the beginning, what you're talking about, Willis. Next time, next time, Somebody from the church comes up to you and just starts saying, I don't know why, God. I don't know why. Just look at him and say, what you talking about, Willis? I'm not saying that you can't take a moment and say, man, this is tough. I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. But at some point, we have to put, the, put it in the context, right? We have to say, hey, listen. I believe the the sovereign God of the universe. What have we been talking about this month? If he has allowed us to walk through it, there must be value in it, right? If he allows us to walk through it, there must be value in it. And he wants a return from it. Isn't that right? And then last week we talked about he's given you access to it. So it really, really, really matters what you do in the meanwhile, doesn't it? what you say between, between what is happening and your deliverance. It really matters what you say in the meanwhile, what you believe in the meanwhile. Watch this. Here's a, here's a great example of this. Paul says a couple things in this passage. He's putting it in the context. He says... He has delivered us. Remember that. He has. That's past tense, right? He has delivered us. How many people will say God has intervened in my life in great ways before? That's good. Most of us are in the same boat. We can look up and say, man, God has intervened in my life. God has done miracles in my life. This is amazing. God, God has done Great things, right? He has done, past tense, has done. He helped my family. He, he, healed, he healed me. He healed my family. He, he provided. He, he, he has kept us. He has kept my kids. He has provided for my... He has done these things, right? That's great. He has. He has. But if he has never turns into he will, you won't trust him. You see the shift that Paul does there? He contextualizes it and he says, okay, the God that has also will. So the God that has delivered me, whether from the wild beast or 39 lashes or I survived, all those things, the God that has done that, I believe he will do that in the future. Now watch what this does to us, what it should do to us. Watch this. And in the story of David and Goliath, there's a great picture of this because because I think he has delivered us, has caused us to do some really weird things. 
So, the story of David and Goliath. Most of you probably know that story, right? David, little shepherd boy. Little punk kid coming up into the, into the uh, ranks of the military. And there's Goliath, this giant, like literal giant. The Philistines and the Israelites have, have, have uh, squared off there. And, and Goliath is saying, hey, you send your guy out. And, and I'll fight your best guy. Whoever wins, wins. And so we pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 17. It says, but David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. Now, when has he been keeping his father's sheep? Has been. I have been doing this. It's in the past. I have been. He says, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. Well, that doesn't sound tough, does it? He says, when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went, when was this? In the past. I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized its by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has, when? Killed both the lion and the bear. Okay. So David makes a good case for what he has done, his experience. He's going for the job interview. He's making a good case for, the, for his experience here. Hey, I don't, know, I don't know the backgrounds of all these other guys, but I killed a lion and a bear. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was saw it, I'd be like, give me a picture. <laughs> uh, did you sketch it out or something? How big was it? Was it a lion cub? What was going on here? But he says, this is what I have done. Now watch this. I started thinking about context and what we say about what is going on in our lives. And, and hard times, even if God has delivered us from them, we, we contextualize it wrong. And we say, God has delivered me from that and I'll never do it again. <laughs> Come on, isn't that right? I remember one time in a far off distant country where they chained me in the church. And, and they were demanding money and all this stuff. It wasn't that far away, and it was a couple months ago. But I could either say, God has delivered me from that. Amen? Yeah, everybody's, oh, yeah, God delivered you. It's awesome. And I'll never go back again because it'd be crazy to go back there. Right? Right? Crazy. You've heard it. If it happens the first time, shame on you for doing it to me. If it happens a second time, shame on me because I put myself back in that situation. Did you, did you hear the things that I told you about when we first started with Paul's life? I don't know about you, but I'd have quit at the wild animals. Like, Lord, I don't think this is for me, man. I know you delivered me from them and everything, but, but I think it's kind of silly for me to keep putting myself in a situation where you got to deliver me. I mean, to free up your time and mine. And I could just go get a regular job and we could just sail through this thing. It'd be easy and, and it's just whatever. But, but, oh, wait a second. It says not only did he have to fight wild animals, he had to get through uh, a riot started by a silversmith uh, in Ephesus. He had to, he, they tried to lynch him. Uh, and you're thinking, why does he keep going back? Why don't you just lay low? Because our modern day philosophy is if everything's going well, God is pleased with us. 
And so what happens is we turn God has delivered me from it to now I'm staying away from it. And I, I'm not going to fight that anymore because, because uh, God delivered me from it. I don't know if he will next time. So I'm not, I'm not going to trust him. Man, why would I do that? Why would I throw myself right back into it? Why? It's not worth it. It's not worth the stress. It's not worth the worry. It's not worth any of that. And, and, but that's not the story of the New Testament, is it? That's not the story of advancing the gospel. Advancing the gospel is not necessarily safe. I remind myself of that every time I get on a plane and fly by myself to the other side of the world, hoping somebody nice is there to pick me up. That a guy, how do you do that? I'm like, I don't know, I'm an idiot. Like, I just don't even, I, I said, honestly, God has equipped me with a great sense of being ignorant of what could happen. And that's how I deal with it. I'm like, I don't know. I'm just going to walk out of the airport at 10 o'clock at night in Kenya and hope I can find a guy that looks like he's supposed to pick me up because I've only seen him on Facebook. (laughs) That's a true story. Because God has delivered me, he will deliver me. But you think, man, why would I do that? So what's, what's David say? David doesn't say this. He doesn't say, I have killed the lion and the bear but I am not going to get into this situation. No, he says the same God that delivered me from the lion and the bear. Watch what he says. He says, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And then he says, this uncircumcised Philistine. We don't use that as a derogatory term anymore, but back then they did. Um, he said, this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defiled the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the bear, the Lord who did rescue me, what's he say now? Will. You see, what we're doing as Christians is we're saying, God did deliver me, but now that's going to keep me from entering the fight over here because I don't want to him to have to deliver me anymore. That's where I get nervous. That's where I have to use faith. That's where, that's where it gets complicated. So if I just, yeah, 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 God did deliver me. But if I stay out of the fight now, I don't have to worry about all that stress. I don't have to worry about it. I'll just stay out of the fight. I'll just back up and do my own thing, try to stay under, under the radar. I don't, I don't want to have to keep doing this. I don't want to have to keep trusting God. This is stressful. And, and I, man, I don't know. But you listen to David, you listen to Paul talk, and the reason why God was delivering them here was not so they wouldn't fight, but so when the, when the time came, they would have confidence over here for the same thing. So uh, the same guys I was in Kenya with, um, and, and, and I didn't, it was a great trip, two weeks, we had a couple flat tires. We're pulling off in places where I was a little, a lot nervous. And um, I got pictures. I didn't, I didn't put them up there today. Um, we're at this one place trying to change a tire. The guy didn't even have, uh, he had an air pump outside. And he had, his tools were made out of uh, truck springs. The tire was never balanced. And I'm just looking at it like, dude, I don't know. This isn't going to work. His jack wouldn't even fit over the car. We had to pick the car up. Two of us, me and another Kenyan guy, had to pick the car up to get the jack under it. And it was just as 
It was just sketchy. But God was faithful through the whole thing. Never got sick. Never, never, uh, it was just great. It was a great trip. And so I could either say, thank you for being faithful there, but I'm not sure it's worth the risk over here. Or I could say, God, I believe you delivered me there, so therefore I will trust you again over here with an opportunity, right? Amen. And so last, uh, I went last June and last October, the guy, one of the guys I went with, Tom Arati, uh, came over to my house. He, he was visiting here, appreciated our church. Many of you heard him. Uh, just an amazing, amazing guy. One of my heroes in the faith. And he, uh, uh, the first night he was at my house, we're sitting there on Friday evening. And he says, um, hey, you're going to go to Ghana with us. And I was like, oh, <laughs> wow, that was really nice way to ask. Um, so, you know, I did the tough thing like, man, I trust God. Yeah, let's do it. And, and so I thought, I'll call the sane one out of the group uh, who is an American. And, uh, <laughs> and I called my friend Dan and I said, uh, hey, Dan, Tom told me that we were going to go to Ghana. And he goes, yeah, I wish I could have got to you before he did and explained to you what's going on. I said, no, it's fine, man. I'm good to go, I think. And I said, uh, well, what's Ghana like? And he said, I've never been there. So two out of three have never been in the country. Uh, and he says, but Tom has, we're fine. And I thought, says you. But the God that was faithful then will be faithful. So God's faithfulness should not keep us out of the fight if it should give us a reason to get in the fight. Amen? Amen. We shouldn't look at it that God delivered me back then. I'll never do that again. I'll never put myself in that situation because I don't like depending on God for anything. And, and if I get in that situation again, I know I'm going to have to depend on God. And it, it just makes my life all out of whack and makes me stressful and I don't know what to do. But that's not the reason he delivered you. He delivered you so that you would enter back in to trust him again. And so David doesn't say, I, I went and killed the lion and the bear and I decided fighting wasn't for me. No, he now comes because God had delivered him. Now his confidence that God will deliver him is even higher. And so he says, man, I'm telling you right now, you may look at me as, as not a guy who knows how to do this, but I'm serving the same God I did when I killed the lion and the bear. So this uncircumcised Philistine is not going to be anything for me. What will I say about it? When you say he has, it's an admission of God's role in your life. When you say he has provided for me, you're admitting that God has played a primary role in where you're at right now. When you say God has kept me, God's peace has, has reassured me, God, God has. When you say things like that, you're communicating to people that God has played a primary role in getting you to where you are right now. But saying God has is not a statement of faith. You're just assigning things to him. That's not faith. It's easy for me to look back and say my wife has supported me the whole way. I thought I'd hear more amens. It's easy for me to look back and say, she supported me in, in our whole time together. That's not faith. That's just stating what has happened. So it's easy for us 
as believers, as people who've been in church for a while, it's easy for you to say, man, God's been faithful. Because it doesn't take any faith to say that, does it? God has been my co-pilot. <laughs> it's different to say God will be faithful, right? Because now you're projecting on him something. Now you're saying, I believe whatever comes that he will be with me and he will be faithful. That's a statement of faith. How do you talk about it? How do you talk about it? When you're honest about your situation, you put it in the right context. I, am, I, I believe God is doing this to grow me. I believe he's allowed me to walk through it. Why? Because there's value in it and I should grow from it. He expects to return. But now the most, one of the most important things is now how am I going to talk about it? You know, you've heard people say stuff like, man, best days are yet to come, right? It, there, there was some, some point where I thought, man, why do people say that? My best days are in front of me. My best days are in front of me. And I started to realize people that were saying that were making a statement of faith that they believe the God that has will, is the God that will, Right? Could you imagine if you woke up every morning and go, man, it only gets worse from here. It only gets worse from here, brother. Beth and I are, are got a little bit of a taste. Our, our oldest daughter is a senior this year, and, and I realized that my son is 13, so I'll be 45 years old and, um, and pretty much uh, free from the tether of kids. Um, no, I have amazing kids. But I could look at that season of my life and depending on the context I put it in could, could determine how I talk about it, right? I could say, my kids are going to be gone in five years. Now I've got to put up with my wife. <laughs> just me and her, no buffer. I can't just hang out with Carter anymore. It's just me and her. I don't know what to do reason you're laughing is because some of you men have said that. <laughs> no, but or I could say, or I could say, God, your grace and mercy has been on me. We had kids early. I'm going to be 45 years old. I'm going to make sure I'm in the best shape I've ever been. And my kids are going to be gone. And my best days are in front of me. And I could speak faith into my situation that my wife and I, man, we were only married two years before we had kids. That ain't even enough to, time to agree on what kind of plates you're going to eat on. <laughs> Two years. Now we've got this, now it's a new seat. Now, man, I can, look, I can look forward to it with anticipation. But it depends on what I say about it. You've heard the Proverbs, there's life and death is in the power of the tongue. And so what you're experiencing and the context you put it in determines what you're going to say about it. And what you say about it will put the boundaries around what you're going to do about it. Because listen, if I, if I, keep, if I keep saying, man, it's going to be terrible, man, it's going to be terrible, man, it's going to be terrible, then I'm never going to rise up with faith and do what God wants me to do because I'm always just expecting it to be worse than it is today. But if I wake up in the morning and I say, man, like, like Mark said earlier, there are mercy, your mercies are new every morning. My best day could be today. 
Because I've put what is happening to me in the right context. That God hasn't left me. He hasn't forsaken me. He knows exactly what's going on. He's maturing me through it. There's value in it. He's expecting return from it. And my days are going to get better. I believe it. And therefore, I'm going to say it out loud. And Paul says this. He says, the God who delivered me will deliver me. He's telling the Corinthian church that. The God who has will. The God who has will. You should wake up every morning and say that to yourself. The God who has will. The God who has delivered me will continue to deliver me. The Lord rescued me from the paw of the lion and the bear, and he will rescue me from this uncircumcised Philistine. Paul writes to the Philippian church, and this is later on in his life, and he's, he's in prison, and and he writes to the Philippian church in 4.13 after saying, man, I know what it's like to be without stuff. I know what it's like to be with stuff. I can be content in every situation. He, he speaks faith to the Philippian people and he says this, I can do what? All things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. When's the last time you woke up in the morning and spoke those words? And the con- I'm putting the right context in my situation but I, and, and that's going to cause me to speak the right thing. Listen, kids, I know it's tough, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We don't quit. We don't give up. We don't, we're, we're, this, is, this is the reality of who we are, and we're going to talk about it. We're going to say it out loud. We're going to make sure. You know what? If for no other reason, you should do that for your kids. If for no other reason, you should do it for your kids. We shouldn't be walking around going, kids, man, I don't know if we're going to eat tomorrow. I don't know if we're going to make it. No, you should be speaking. Man, you know what? We trust in the God of all the universe. We don't just show up for church on Sunday morning as a, as a duty. or what. No, we do this because when we lay our heads down at night, we're confident that the God who has will. And our kids can grow up in a, in a household of faith that proclaims it, that, that we say it because it's in our hearts. The abundance of the heart The mouth speaks. When your situation is put in the right context, it comes out of your mouth the right way, doesn't it? The God who has is the God who will. Kids, I'm not going to lie to you. It's tough. But the God who has is the God who will. And then you know what the best thing in the world as a parent is? And when God does do what he says, you can look back and say, I told you so. I told you the God that what I know you were a little nervous, but the God who did, I promise you, I knew it will. And guess what? He has. Philippians 419, Paul goes on to tell him, and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ. He's speaking faith to the Philippian church. He said, I know what situation you're in. I know the context and we're going to put it in the right context and I'm going to speak faith in your situation. My God will supply all your needs. He just finished saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and then he switches it up. He says, I know not only will he do that in my life, but I know he'll supply all your needs. Now you're on Facebook saying, hey, listen, keep your chin up. Right? And that's good. Hey, listen, some of the most encouraging social media posts in the world should be right out of this place. Right out of our accounts, right? They should hear from us. Listen, the God who has is the God who will. But you have to put it in the right context here before it will come out of here or it will come out of here. Right? 
If you don't put it in the right context, then what comes out of here won't be the right words. And words matter. I know you grew up with sticks and stones may break my bones. But if I tell you it's going to end up bad enough times, you'll believe it. And here's what I know. The God who has is the God who will. And I want to be able to communicate that to everybody I know. I want to stay in the fight. I don't want to quit because God delivered me and now I want to stay away from it. I want to stay in the fight because I know he will. How are you speaking about your situation? Why don't you stand with me? We'll wrap this up. Somebody say, Amen. Amen. 1044. Can we be honest right now? The devil is trying to talk you out of it at this moment. I was thinking about that last night when I was reviewing this. I was thinking, you know what? As I'm talking, he's trying to talk you out of it. He's trying to tell you my situation is so bad that God isn't going to do what he said he was going to do. My situation is so bad. He's trying to talk you out of it right now. He's trying to talk you out of, don't listen to him. He's, he, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's a young punk. He's got gel in his hair. Um, he, you know, he doesn't know anything. All right. There comes a point in time where you've got to choose what you believe, right? Didn't Joshua say that? Hey, you could pick today. You could p- pick to believe lies that have stranded our lives. You could pick to believe Satan who said he, he came with three objectives, to steal, kill, and destroy you. And he's whispering in your ear right now, don't believe it, don't believe it, don't believe all this faith stuff, it's not going to get you anywhere, it's just pointless. It's going downhill from here, you have no hope. The last thing he wants you to do is to put that in the right context and say, listen, in the middle of this situation, God is wanting me to depend on him. That's what Paul said. All right, I'm going to put it in the right context here. And now... What comes out of my mouth will be the right thing. It'll be, it'll be words of faith and affirmation and hope. And so now the way I'm going to talk about this. So even right now, there's a battle. Even right now, you may have to talk yourself into it. I can do, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through come on come on you might have to talk yourself into it right now my God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory my God will supply all my needs my God will su- no he won't no he won't come on you hear it no he won't no he won't yeah you know what I'm putting this in the right context so now I'm going to start saying the right things some of you may have to be quiet for a little while so the transition can take place you know what I'm saying Sorry for my absence on Facebook. I had to get it in the right context. But now I'm back. I believe God will provide all my needs according to his riches and glory. I believe I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Sorry about, wow, I had it in the wrong context before. But now I'm talking right. Amen. I challenge you this week. I challenge you this week with your family, with your friends, with your coworkers to make sure what's coming out of here is the right thing. Make sure it's faith. 
Make sure it's, make sure it's the, I believe he will because he has. Make sure it's the right context. Because in the meanwhile, you could give up. But Paul said, I realized what was happening. And I'm going to talk about it the right way. Amen. Come on, let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning. Lord, you're doing a wonderful thing in our lives. You're redeeming us. You're setting us free. You're delivering us. Lord, I've seen you step into people's lives this week and transform their future. I saw you do it. Transform their future. Lord, let that catapult us into the next fight. Into the next time we trust you. The next time we step out in faith, let those things. Let because you have catapult us into I know you will. And Lord, I pray this morning, maybe maybe there's somebody here that's been struggling with this, been, been ready to give up. Maybe there's been pressure on their lives to this point that they don't think they can bear anymore. But your word says that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And we can confess that this morning. We can put our lives in the right context and know that there's a God who is for us and with us and here even right now in our midst who is wanting to take the load from us. And I pray that we begin to talk about that right. Lord, I can cast all my cares on you today because you care for me. Lord, I pray that you bring peace into those lives right now. I pray that you bring hope into those lives. I pray I pray that the affirmation will come out of their mouths. I pray that I pray that when they put it in the right context, they'd say the right things. Because I know that you have and I know that you will. And we will honor you for it. We'll give you glory for it. We will stay in the fight because of it. Lord, I pray maybe there's somebody here who's never trusted you, who's never surrendered their lives to you, and I pray that they take the opportunity this morning to do just that, and they surrender their lives to you. You're the one that died on the cross for them. You're the one that can redeem them of their sins. Lord, they can experience what real peace is like this morning by accepting you as their Savior. And I pray that they do that right now. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Hey, listen, we're going to be baptizing people second service in about an hour and a half, probably. And so, so maybe you haven't been baptized yet. I would encourage you if you're in this service right now and you say, man, I don't even, I haven't, I wasn't even thinking about it. We've got clothes for you. We've got shorts and, and I have decided t-shirt. You can come back and we'll baptize you. It's going to be a great celebration. I'm excited for the people that are going to be baptized in just a little while. Don't let the devil talk you out of it. The God that has is the God that will, and he always will. And I want to encourage you this morning with that. Amen. Amen. Could you give him honor and praise today? Amen. Father, I pray a blessing on them right now, Lord, that they go in your strength and your power, and they would trust you this week, that you're the God that will. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everyone said amen and amen.